Hi, this is Emily, producer for Pod Rocket, and we want to know, how did you find us? Did you see us on Twitter, in a newsletter, or maybe we were recommended by a friend? Let us know by sending an email to me at emilycohannickettner at logrocket.com or tweet at us at podrocketpod. You can find all these links in our show notes. Thanks again for listening, and here's the show. Welcome back to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it for free at LogRocket.com. I'm Emily, producer for PodRocket, and we're back with our panel episode where we cover a wide range of topics trending in the world of web development, as well as go through some of our guests' hot takes about what they're fired up about in the world of web development right now. So before we get into it, Let's welcome our panel. First, we have Cassidy Williams returning. Cassidy is the CTO at Contenda, newsletter writer, podcaster, mechanical keyboard enthusiast. Welcome back, Cassidy. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. Excited for your puns, as always. Of course. Next, we have Trash Dev, also known as Chris Batista. Chris is an engineer at Netflix, Twitch streamer, YouTuber, and one of our hosts for PodRocket now. Welcome back, Chris. Hello. Next, we have Noel and Paul also joining us from the Pod Rocket host team and, you know, our true golden boys on the show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, my. What, what a title. title. Yeah. What a title. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm going to come up with something fun for you guys since you've been on the pod for so many years now. Well, welcome back. I'm going to go tell my girlfriend I'm a golden boy after this. You're a golden boy. Yeah. Podcast yeah. golden boy. Well, welcome everyone. Very excited to get into our topics now. Let's start with topic one, State of CSS 2023. Finally, the State of CSS 2023 is here and I would love to get all of your takes about it. A lot of big updates this year, including the release of has, container queries, subgrid. So I want to get into some of the findings and hear your thoughts about how the survey shook out. So First, what are your initial thoughts and did anything particular stand out to you? I'm personally just very excited about has coming out and I feel like it has saved my biscuit a few different times and I've been really excited to play with it and use it more. Um, and also just more support and usage for things like Clamp, which is very last year, but still I'm, I'm excited that is more prominent and being used. I think one thing I'm taking away from this is that I guess I don't actually know CSS because a lot of this stuff on this survey, I had no idea existed. But I do share the same enthusiasm about has. I think that's a huge one. But also subgrid. I think subgrid's also a very cool one that I think not a lot of people like know too much about. So it's a sleeper there. So I think it's going to be very good for the future. Something like subgrid or grid in general usually grabs my attention because of the front-end engineers that I personally know in my life. I have yet to meet one who uses grid. Mm. and Maybe I don't know great front engineers, but what they make is great. So I'd like to believe they're great. <laughs> and I'm very interested to see how subgrid in particular gets used because it seems like it has a spark that was different than when grid launched originally. So that's my takeaway on grid, at least. I'm really excited about popover. I don't know if that was in the survey, but I think that's a huge gain for people trying to build interactive interfaces. Like that's traditionally been kind of hard about does it pop up on the left, right? How big is it? And we have a API that isn't 100% CSS, but you access it through CSS. That's kind of coming to the stage. I'm really excited to play with that. 
I do agree with what you said about the grid versus subgrid and stuff. I feel like so many people just use flex and grid is like sometimes used. And I don't know if it's just because it's not as intuitive or what, but I used grid by itself for the first time as recently as I think this month. And I was like, oh, this is actually nice. And it was because I was playing with subgrid, but Otherwise, I think my brain just defaults to Flexbox every single time just because it, it feels like it makes more sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I think Flexbox was just designed very much to solve the responsiveness problem. So it's like it's right. very equipped to do that, which is what we spend a lot of time doing, I think, when we're working on front end stuff. Whereas Grid, you have some specific layout you're trying to go for, and it, it's another tool set. But I think we end up just like using the properties we've all been using for 10 years or whatever to like do the things that Grid can do and then like flex to make it bounce i guess yeah one of the other notes we've got here is like the um gap property in flexbox mm -hmm. like usage spiking that makes a ton of sense to me and i think it's another one of those things that's just so convenient it does a thing that everyone needs to do all the time so like why would right. you not use the super handy property yeah in the survey it did say that since 2021 uh gap has jumped from 55 percent usage to 90 percent. so almost everyone's using it wild yeah. I honestly crazy. thought it's been out for a long time because I feel like I've been using it forever because you just don't need to use margin or padding anymore because of it. And I think, I guess I'm just old. So I just, I guess time moves fast, I guess. But I thought I've been using it <laughs> for like 10 years, but maybe not. But one thing related to the popover remark, there is anchor positioning, which is in the survey, which just allows you to basically tether elements together. So just when you imagine like popovers or tooltips, those are anchored to some element typically. So now like what I used to do to get around this is you basically have a wrapper that's position absolute. Right. Right. Yeah. Then you have two elements and then your whatever you want to anchor is position relative like to whatever. Right. So now you don't have to do that anymore. I haven't used it myself personally, but I've seen stuff on Twitter where people are showcasing it and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. But to be honest, like these kind of problems are kind of abstracted for me nowadays because I use component libraries and stuff. So it's not something at least I run into daily but i think it's like a super cool like thing that's coming out i didn't realize that existed and that ch changes so many like things that i always write where it's just oh you position absolute then you do like top left 50 percent, and then you do the translate x and y and, and the fact that you wouldn't have to do it's a big deal it's a boilerplate killer for sure yeah you guys did mention has, obviously. I think that was like the big star of 2023. Why did you start using it this year? And I mean, all of you said like it was a big influence, but why do you think it became such a big feature? And then we'll kind of get into what devs are complaining about after. <laughs> I think with CSS, what's nice is in general, everything is you're selecting children and you're getting more and more specific. And has is more of a parent selector where you can select things based on what the children are. And that's a game changer where you could say like, I want only divs that have H1s in them to be styled in a certain way. And you can just do that without having to do a whole song and dance to try to get to that. Cassidy, you mentioned there was one time or a few times this has already saved you. What was one of those times that it really came in handy specifically? It's mostly, I, I kind of said that example where it's like selecting divs that have H1s and stuff. When you're doing more funky typography stuff, it's kind of neat to be able to say, okay, I only want to select divs that have this class on a header, or I only want to select like these images that don't have 
a caption, for example, or something like that, where you can select very specific things to style them in a different way, where I might say, for example, with the caption one, if an image has a caption, I want to be able to add more of a padding and a different type of border so that way it makes space for the caption. Otherwise, I want it to just be a plain old image, something like that. Placing things in articles and typography around that and like images in that has been really nice to play with the has selector. Yeah, I think one thing it saves me from is if anyone's familiar with like CLSX or like those libraries that let you conditionally add classes, at least for me in my like components, I would have like, if some element exists, then toggle this class name on and off, right? You could effectively move that to the CSS layer. I have been bitten by this recently because has isn't supported in Firefox. So I think we had to not use it. And I don't remember how we got around it. So I'm not sure, but I do know that uh, we were bitten in one instance so far, but it is great to have a parent selector though, for sure. I do want to touch on that because a lot of devs did indicate that they're frustrated with the lack of support for has. So what do you think needs to change? Obviously have more browsers and things support it, but like, how do you see this becoming more widely adopted in the future? What do you think needs to change for this to improve? I think use cases in particular is a big one because a lot of people just don't know what they would use it for. And so I'm sure just more examples in the world out there would probably be very useful for explaining like, no, wait, this is really nice. I think even just what Chris said just now, we're talking about like how it can move stuff out of the CSS and JS type thing and just have CSS. I think that kind of removal of logic could be a big selling point for the powers that be. I was going to ask if anybody here feels like has has the potential to <laughs> maybe overcomplicate runtime CSS instead of like hash mapping down into something we're kind of like searching up for it. Do you have any extra considerations when you're using has up that alley or are we just like free for all and kind of not caring? I personally just free for all because I'm like, hey, it's new and it made my life easier. But I do think, especially if you're like spending a lot of your time in like the component world, so React, for example, it might be a little bit more implicit and you might not know that behavior is there unless you go look into the CSS, right? So like if you're using CLSX, right? You would see the logic baked into the component. Whereas, you know, you would have to look in the CSS now and look for all these like pseudo classes and stuff, which may turn you off. I'm not sure. I personally haven't taken any consideration yet because it's more or less just like it's a new shiny thing and let's just see how it works out and then let the best practices kind of unfold themselves as we kind of like progress, right? Same. Yeah, I mean, we have the same concern with like container queries, right? It's kind of breaking the paradigm in a very similar way. I think there has been some discussion on this and there's diehards that are like, I never want to have to think about this being possible in my declarative language, but there's like a, just a pragmatism to being able to do things like this very quickly and easily. So yeah, I guess we'll see how it kind of plays out. This feels like one of those whiteboard encoding questions that'll come someday where it's just like, oh, well, think about the runtime of just going down versus having to check up and all of that. I want to touch on uh, CSS frameworks because this year, OpenProps and Uno CSS overtook Tailwind for CSS frameworks, which I thought was interesting. Have you used either of these? Have you seen their popularity skyrocket in like day-to-day -day usage? And what are your thoughts on CSS frameworks as a whole? I personally have been a snob in general, and I've been trying to avoid using them a ton. And then Literally this past week, I used Tailwind for the first time. And I was like, oh, dang, this is why people use Tailwind. <laughs> so it, it was pretty nice. That being said, I've been looking a lot at Uno. And I, I like how 
customizable it is. And it's been nice to see. It feels like a very natural progression for CSS frameworks. Yeah, I'm a Tailwind fanboy at the moment. I'll be honest, I don't know too much about open props. Actually, when I saw it on the survey, I had no idea what it was until I had to open up the website. And as far as Uno CSS goes, I'm not too sure about that. I just know like Anfu did it and I love everything that Ant does. Everything he makes is like pretty amazing. So I haven't dove too far into that. But as far as like CSS frameworks, you know, I, I favor productivity. I don't care how the sausage is made as long as you made it and you're happy, then, you know. That's how it shakes out. I do get people like their own preferences, but again, like, you know, productivity is my uh, number one metric usually. One last question before we move on. CSS and JS usage has begun to dip slightly, but it has been, it's been noticeable that they called it out. Why do you think this is? And do you think this is going to be a sustainable trend or do you think it will correct itself? Remember when I said I was a snob? Um, I think like I never really liked the CSS and JS stuff because even though it worked, it felt wrong and kind of annoying to modify everything so it's in camel case or whatever. So that way it worked well in JavaScript and stuff. I was open to CSS modules because it's still writing CSS, but I feel like the language should be what the language should be. And so I've always felt that way. And I have a feeling people are not necessarily going in that direction because the language should be what it should be, but more, I think it's just a speed and cleanliness of components thing. So I was a huge CSS and JS person. I really liked the motion and style components yeah. back in the day. I think for me, the reason why I kind of went away was one with CSS and JS, you still have to name things. So you have a component and you'll just have a million styled components and you'll end up with like wrapper, outer wrapper, inner wrapper. And that really just turned me off. And like, for me, that's why kind of why people reach for Tailwind because you don't have to name anything, right? And you kind of just put utility classes in. And then I just think a lot of people talked about like the overhead, right? Like this isn't free. Like you have to, there's some overhead to calculate these classes so you can get the scoping and stuff. And then on top of that, there's the whole React server components thing with streaming HTML and stuff. And I think that's one of the big ones because all these CSS, JS frameworks, if you like look in the GitHub issues of like React, people are like, well, how can we get, you know, style components to stream to the front end? And I think right now a lot of them are still trying to figure that out. And from what I've seen in the issues, a lot of them are just saying you just you can use them in client components, but the streaming story is still, you know, up in the air. Um, and I'm not really sure, like, I'm not smart enough to understand how you can make that work, but it sounds like be a pretty difficult problem to tackle. I don't know if any of you have any insight on that issue. I don't have insight, but you stole my main talking point in that not even just like in React, but just kind of this trend we're going through right now, the last couple of years of like server side rendering and trying to get things. I think that is driving mm. this just because. I don't know. It's one less concern to worry about in this kind of new paradigm of writing in these front-end frameworks that is now maybe a little bit more complicated inherently than it was like three years ago, um, if you're trying to use all the new stuff for performance's sake. And yeah, I think it's easy to just say, well, let's just like keep this simple, go back to writing CSS, how it was, quote, air quote, intended to be done and, you know, worry about this other stuff later. I think with all of this server rendering stuff, there's such a lack of education and understanding at large that uh, what you just said, Noel, it's easier to just kind of do what you know will work and then kind of do the experimental stuff with any different server components, streaming components, things like that outside of it. Awesome. All right, let's move on to topic number two, bun 
1.0 finally released. It released as a stable version and has caused quite the stir as it always does when there's bun news. It's fast. Many React frameworks, including Next, Remix, and Astro are already supported. And Matteo Kalina wrote why he was both excited and disappointed about the newest release. So a little bit of drama. Um, does anyone want to quickly tell us what bun is? And has anyone tried the 1.0 version? Bun is a lot of things. <laughs> and I felt enlightened when I learned that the bun is a bundler <gasps> as well. Right? Oh. A bun time. <laughs> bun time. Exactly. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> I hate it here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do we got? We got a runtime, a bundler. We got new native API support. I think it's a test runner too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Test runner. Yeah. yeah. Bun is a runtime slash ecosystem. That is what Bun is for compiling JavaScript. And it's written in Zig, I believe. Yes. I think I'm correct. getting that right. Yes. Yeah. So who's used it? I have attempted. I haven't used 1.0. <laughs> I tried one of the very early versions like last year. And I was just like, ah, look at them go. And I kind of just left it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to use it in a big model repo I have with not much luck. But I think they're pretty much every issue we like ran into someone already reported it and you know they're aware and they're working on it so we're kind of letting it marinate and get through like the early stages of patching everything and then give it a go again <laughs> but i sort of like every 10 seconds i see a video on how fast bun installs <laughs> or something that's like the main topic i feel like one of the big things that bun has been saying is that they're dropping for node and then please help me with his name the primogen 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 thank you said that when he did drop Bun into a Node app, he got a 60% performance increase and a 40% drop in memory usage. So with that, obviously, Chris, you're just saying they're still ironing out all the bugs and patches and everything. Do you think that Bun could overtake Node at some point? And what do you think of these offhand stats from one person, but still someone who's very vocal in the web dev community? Oh, will it take over? I don't actually think so. I think the compatibility that Node has right now today is just so vast and wide that the amount of users that they have, no one would actually be like, let me just you know refactor everything to Bun. Maybe, but I, if that was actually like a realistic expectation, at least from my point of view, it would be a very, very long time from now. Because if you think about it, I feel like Bun has different priorities than what Node has at the time. Node needs compatibility with everybody. You know, they need the stable ecosystem, whereas Bun's like, you know, their focus is be very fast, everything faster, but they're also starting from, you know, right now forward. They don't have legacy users that they need to worry about necessarily. So I would see like people making like greenfield projects would probably adapt Bun, maybe drop in replacements for some maps that aren't too, too legacy. Again, like it really depends on um, or actually to tap onto like Mateo's article, he was disappointed because some of the Node APIs weren't ready yet, whereas they kind of made the claim that, you know, it is a drop and replacement. So I think he felt misled there, but I think Jared handled it well and said, any issues you get, send them the bun. Like you shouldn't be fielding these questions going forward. But I think the expectation is they'll eventually have those working. But yeah, as far as taking it over, I don't think that's a realistic expectation. I feel like the user groups kind of have a pretty big divergent between like especially the legacy ones and then the greenfield ones who knows i could be wrong i could be wrong and again they're also funded too so they're at the mercy of i guess investors maybe i don't know not to like tell kids to get off my lawn and turn into an old woman here but whenever i see like some of these stats 
these stats are happening in a vacuum where there's so many weird applications out there that are huge that are running so much internet infrastructure these days that I don't think it's going to overtake anytime soon because kind of like what Chris just said, like for newer projects, for projects that aren't too weird, it'll probably be very good at being fast at it, but there's a lot of weird JavaScript out there. And to get lightly spicy, a lot of this is reminding me of when Dino came out and then also when CoffeeScript came out, where a lot of times what these projects do is they give you really awesome features and improvements and stuff, but ultimately they end up just making JavaScript better or they end up making Node better in some way because they kind of adopt those things later on. And as you know, CoffeeScript is not really a thing anymore because JavaScript adopted a lot of that stuff. And Dino is still around to be sure, but it's still like Node has adopted a lot of those ideas. So I don't mean to be fully skeptical and be like, it can't be done because it could be. But I think that it will take a lot of very significant improvements and compatibilities to actually take anything over. If anything, I think this little fire in the node team's butt, right. I don't want to say bad words, but from what I've seen, everyone's, you know, they're kind of rallying around like, okay, let's, you want to make node faster? I mean, let's try. Or like, who wants to invest the time into it? So I think if anything, this is going to make node better for everybody. So that would probably even make it even harder for adoption in that sense. And again, like competition's great. I was going to say competition's good for us. And the fact that Bun release is, I think it's just going to make Node a better framework and everything. So cheers on that. That was going to be my next question is, what do you want to see from Node to either be better than Bun still or compete with Bun? Fix the ES modules. Like Bun does that. I can use import and require in the same file. That's huge, especially for like newcomers when you hop in there and it's ES module scope is not like supported. That's like the worst error message you can get if you're trying to learn Node. Mm -hmm. Let's be real. That sucks. Yeah, that's really the one thing that I want. <laughs> Everything else like is an added bonus, but that would be so, so ideal. So before we move on to our final topic and our hot takes, I'm just going to take a quick break and want to let everyone know that this episode was brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket offers session replay, issue tracking, and product analytics to help you quickly surface and solve impactful issues affecting your user experience. With LogRocket, you can find and solve issues faster, improve conversion and adoption, and spend more time building a better product. And with that, let's go into our last topic, VO. So a quick new tool update. Uh, Vercel released yet another AI tool, VO. Jared Palmer, creator of the tool, said that it was the mid-journey for React. From the site, it says that it's a generative user interface system that generates copy and paste-friendly React code based on ShadCN UI and Tailwind CSS that people can use in their products. The Debite newsletter joked that Jared Palmer was out to make us all jobless once again and currently is in private alpha. So a lot of this is speculation, but there's been a lot of hype on Twitter, which comes to my first question. Another AI tool. Is it all hype? I just think the people who come out and say this is going to make us jobless are like the people who come out and tell me that crypto is going to like cure cancer or something. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean the tool is bad. But I just want to start with that about the make us all jobless statement. I think that's very true. Anyone have any thoughts about it? Have you been on the wait list yet? What are your initial thoughts? 
I am on the wait list, but from what I've seen, people use it. Like it's good at giving you a baseline, which is nice. And I think that's honestly what a lot of AI tools are good at. They're good at giving you a baseline and it takes a human to add nuance and stuff. The one complaint I've seen actually is accessibility. It's really not good at the accessibility of various components. Yeah. So I'm still waiting on the wait list as well, but I do think this looks very great. To Cassidy's point, like I use AI tools like Copilot for boilerplate just because, you know, who likes writing boilerplate in general? So I think this is a very good starter pack, essentially. I think the other downside is it's just built on ShadCN and Tailwind. To make this more robust, like it would be cool to see it like adapt to my design system and then build something with that, right? Because at the moment, you know, I may not use the same CSS libraries or components underneath the hood. So for me, like I can really only use it on hobby projects, probably. If there was a reality where I wanted to bring this into like work to my job or bring it into like enterprise, you would have to be able to like adapt to that. I'm sure they thought about this, but for now, like that's kind of like my initial thought of like how seriously I'm taking this, but I do think it's great. I think the line of mid journey for React is very attractive for many people because I'm not a designer by any means. So if I can go somewhere and just say a prompt and have a somewhat decent looking UI, I think that's great. And that's obviously why people use component libraries to begin with, because not everyone is great at designing things. But if you can take those components and then actually build a full page with just a sentence, that's just like a superpower in my opinion. I do like that they used Shad CN though, because it's probably one of the more lightweight portable options of the component. Can we call it a component library that exists out there? Like it's it's one of those things that I can more easily migrate into a project. But yeah, Chris totally agree. Would look for that pluggability in the future. Mm -hmm. Will you use this if it pans out to be useful? I mean, I think that's the dilemma, right? Like it's useful if we can use it on existing projects. I think it will be useful for like greenfield things when you want this exact set of tech. Can it be expanded beyond that? Then sure. If not, I probably won't be. It'll be really good for getting me to actually start some of my side projects in my pile of side projects, I think. Well, with that, let's move on to our hot takes, which... I will go around and ask you to give me a hot take about whatever you're upset about or excited about in web dev, and then all of you can respond. Let's start with Paul. I've seen uh, titles around in the internet talking about how TypeScript is going away or getting used less, and I'm still trying to find reasons why this could be a good thing. Like We've gained this knowledge about or practice about how to use a type system, and I don't know why you would stop doing that. So I am looking forward to watching those videos and reading those posts and taking everybody's argument at face value. But I don't think chucking TypeScript out of a project is a good thing or types in general, if you're already practiced with using a type system. And I don't know if that's a hot take. Maybe a lot of people agree with me, but I think types are great and we should keep using them. I will say I did see that going around and I was like, I thought TypeScript was supposed to save us all. So not sure why everyone's yeah. going on it now. What's going on? Is this related to like the DHH thing where the, I forget the name of his library, Turbo or something? Yes, Turbo is dropping types. it, right? Yep. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Like why? <laughs> there are a lot of good memes about it. but <laughs> <laughs> So maybe not so hot. Maybe not so hot. Any responses other than you agree? <laughs> Types are very useful, I think, for very large projects where multiple people are using them and you want to add guardrails. 
I think a lot of times they can be overkill for anything smaller than that. And so whether TypeScript stays or goes, I personally don't really care because I don't use it unless I'm joining a project that already has it implemented. Yeah, I'm with Paul. I use it for everything. First, like anything I start, type. Yeah. I feel like it's my guardrail against myself because I'm going to go in and refactor this code with no tests and I'm going to break something unless I've got a type guard. Nope, you didn't change this reference here. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so pro TypeScript all around. Cassidy, what is your hot take? So I really love the Astro web framework. I think it's very nice and clean, easy to use. I like that I can throw React at it if I want, or Preact or Vue or whatever. And they recently came out with their newest version, which has the Vue Transitions API. And if any of you have played with it, it's so easy to use. I like tried it once and instantly I was just like, oh, this is a game changer. That being said, what I like about Astro is it ships a ton of stuff minimal by default, where like it doesn't run JavaScript by default on the client and stuff. But that being said, if you want to have certain levels of interactivity, you have to have some client-side JavaScript. And then by using the Vue Transitions API, it does add some SPA type routing, some single page application type routing that is more client-y. And so it feels like it's moving a little bit away from everything very minimal by default, but it's still very cool. And the fact that I was able to literally add three lines of code and suddenly like things are zooming across the screen as I transition, that was very fun. So it's not so much like a good or bad take, but huh, check that out take. I have not used the Vue Transition API, but I've seen many demos from like Ben Holmes and team, and mm -hmm. it looks amazing. The one thing that bothers me, and I think this is like a common complaint, is do we always have to like zoom something or can we Yeah. <laughs> can we just navigate without that? I don't know. Is that kind of built into the transition API? I think by default it like fades. And so it's, it's like very minimal like fading okay. and stuff. I could see someone saying, wait, there's too much motion and having to do some kind of compatibility with reduced motion. But mm -hmm. I was literally able to be just like transition name and added it to one component on one page and another component on the other page and navigating between pages, it just zoomed. So it looked like it was the same component. That was sick. I didn't have to do anything. I don't even know how you build that. <laughs> yeah. I. It's very impressive engineering on their part. The fact that I, again, could do everything in three lines of code was amazing. Chris, what is your hot take? I'm coming up with this on the fly. So a thought I've been having lately is I think the trend of the front-end developer is slowly like getting worse, in my opinion. And the, I think my, my perspective is skewed by tech Twitter because that place is interesting. When I say that, I mean, like, if I'm a front-end developer, I'm getting to the space and I want to build something new, my immediate thought is to reach for so many SaaS products. So for instance, a NOF library, you know, some database provider or something like that. And we kind of just... From what I've seen, people are kind of just, okay, let me spin an app. To, and, and again, I'm not knocking anyone that does this because I do it as well. I reach for plenty of providers. But like for someone starting off, I feel like a lot of the advice we give them is like, here's this awesome stack that pretty much gets you up and running in five seconds, which is great and amazing. But in my opinion, I feel like that hurts you in the long run because if anyone's been in the industry long enough, normal like enterprise companies or other companies don't really use services. You kind of have to do it yourself. So for someone like that's just joining, coming in and getting something up to speed or just building something very quick, I feel like they miss out on a lot of that foundational stuff. 
And again, like I said earlier in the podcast, I'm all for productivity. Do you just want to get your idea out there in front of everyone? Fantastic. Like you need to know if it's worth it before you actually invest this like engineering time. But I feel like since all these tools are available, the idea of having a nice foundation is slowly getting lost. Where, you know, people are like, oh, before you learn React, you know, learn JavaScript first, right? Where the counterpoint is like, well, I mean, my job needs me to know React and I'm getting paid to do React, so I don't really care what you think, right? And this kind of stuff doesn't matter to everybody. Who cares how the sausage is made? I made a site. Do you like it? Cool. Who cares how I made it, right? If you like my product. But at the same time, like I have a lot of friends that are like junior engineers trying to break in they'll get system design questions and they'll just get destroyed because they just don't know how this stuff works, right? They'll just be like, oh, I would use this library. And, you know, that's not necessarily applicable to many scenarios. I don't know. I'm curious what you all think about that. I agree so much with this because <laughs> it's something that like, I think in general, it comes down to a lot of things like vendor lock-in, for example, like if, if someone uses one platform a ton, then they don't know how to transfer that skill to another platform if they just learn that. And that can be applied to any tool that could be applied to even non-dev tools that could be applied to calendars. I still am angry at Gmail for having such a good calendar API that doesn't work for any other service. But as for the skills, like you're saying, I think it's a very real thing that I'm seeing where I occasionally do like interview practice with folks. And I was talking to someone where this developer had four years of experience building React applications and was really struggling in job interviews. And as I was talking with this person, they didn't know, for example, how a for loop worked because they never had to use it because they only ever used React on the job and how they learned how to code. And it's not the end of the world. They might not necessarily always need to use a for loop for anything, but there's a lot of very basic fundamentals that I think get lost if you abstract it away too much. And that's how you teach people how to learn. At the same time, I feel like there's a trend that is alive of bringing people back to those basics. Like I'm not a remix fan myself. I also Cassidy love the Astro framework and its simplicity, but we had a guest on from the remix team and, you know, they were putting out one of those stacks where it's like, Hey, five minutes, you're up and running. But it was like built in password authentication root, like in there, you're not using a server. There was no services. And I'm finding more of these types of projects, starters on GitHub, where it's like they built the password recovery into the stack, like grassroots. And it, it's cool to see that. And it's educational, like for me as a developer to be able to look at it in different contexts. So it's cool to see that. Yeah, I do think that it is a trend that's slowly looming and I like seeing it. But once again, I'm nervous about the lock-in of people being just like, okay, you, you've learned it just from us and now you can't leave us. And, and right. you know, that, that kind of lock-in is scary. Yeah, yeah. I think the place where that like SaaS, whatever, that tools ex abstraction is occurring is like an important distinction here. Because there's like, standing up your own database and trying to like figure all that out at the same time versus, oh, I'll just use like a database provider, but I'll still have to like connect to it. There's a lot of tiers to like, I can use like an authentication provider or I can like try to do all of auth myself or I can just use something that gives me like, as like a Superbase or a Firebase or something that does auth for me, right? Like it's kind of a spectrum. But yeah, I think that there is a danger in people always going for that, like literally do everything for me. And they're not understanding a lot of the reasons that seasoned devs are reaching for those tools because they know these problems are hard and they know why they're hard. But I think a lot of people just coming in don't have that context. So they're just locked into this thing. 
I think that's a very key point where I know that I never want to roll my own auth ever again. And that is why I'm going to reach for a tool for it. But there's a reason why I know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to Paul's point, I do agree. Like Spellkit or Spell in the Remix, they're relying on web standards, right? Like, well, you have to use cache headers and stuff. Like, who can tell me about cache headers? So it's like cool to see all that stuff. And I think that is a great trend, you know, the smoke and magic and more just using the platform. But yeah. It's an interesting topic. You can pull it apart in a million different ways. Cause like you said, no, there's tiers, levels of abstraction, but yeah, just something I thought of while we were doing our hot takes. Noel, what is your final hot take? Yeah, no, yeah, Chris has kind of segued beautifully into mine here and that like, I've been seeing a lot of problems in some spaces with like people newer to the dev space. And I feel we're kind of getting into this realm where there's all these meta frameworks that are tied to these like companies and hosting providers and all this stuff. And I think it's particularly hard right now for new engineers to figure out like how to build a thing. Do I need all these bells and whistles that are provided by this thing? I think like the industry is to blame. There's market forces at play that are maybe making it difficult for engineers to jump in like how they're trying to capitalize on the development experience all this is to say that like if you are in that place just find the easiest thing that you can run pull down and will run locally and you don't need to talk to some big external system that's probably a good starting point if you can run the whole thing locally and you don't have to be connected to the internet for it to be running that's probably a good sign do that and then you can figure out more from there and i think that'll typically leave you in a very good place I agree. I think a good indicator of a development experience is, can you develop on an airplane? Exactly. You have very, very terrible Wi-Fi, but you can actually work. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great way to end it. Thank you, everyone, for coming on to the panel today. Let's just go around and say where people can find you. Cassie, where can people find you? Hello. Thanks, everybody. My name is Cassidy Williams. You can find me at Cassidoo, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, on most things. And I'm CTO at a company called Contenda. Awesome. Chris, where can people find you? You can find me, I think, lately. I'm mainly just on Twitter nowadays. So you can find me at TrashDev, and that's trash with two H's, underscore dev, because someone took it. (laughs) And it's really weird to just say that out loud. I don't say TrashDev out loud too often. (laughs) 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 But that's where I am. Awesome. Paul. And just here on Pod Rocket, hosting with Emily and on the occasional YouTube tutorial if you're looking for how to implement some open source frameworks. I like to throw out videos every now and then. And Noel. Yeah, I'm I'm mainly on the podcast as well. I do actually have a social presence now. I'm on Blue Sky exclusively. Uh, Look at you. I know. I'm at <laughs> noel.minc.how Minchow. It's a play on my last name. Anyway. You'll find me there. Well, thank you again, everyone, for this awesome panel. And if you are listening and you have any topics you want us to cover, please DM me on Twitter. And all the links that we just discussed will be in the show notes. So thank you, everyone. Bye.